about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. After the, after the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And our second reading tonight is from Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, to chapter 4, verse 1. That's Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things, and if on some point you think differently, that too God will clear up to you, will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, 
and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Thanks, Verena and Amelia. Well, great to be with you this evening. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, if, you've, if you're new tonight, a special welcome to you. We love having new people among us. We hope that um, the coolness of this building would be made up by the warmth of our fellowship. And uh, if you're joining us online and cheating from a warm lounge room, uh, I'm still glad you can join us. Uh, tonight, we come to um, another passage in Philippians as we unpack what it means to live for Jesus and respond to Him. Uh, but the first, I want to start with... Um, with this great meme that we all know and love and now is in so many variations, um, I wonder if you know the story of it. Uh, it's, it's an interesting little story because it's actually one of three designs uh, that the British government made in 1939, just before World War II began. Uh, and the first one, freedom is in peril, defend it with all your might. Or your courage, your cheerfulness, your resolution will bring us victory. I mean, they're kind of they're upbeat, they kind of put sort of hope in kind of arm's reach, the third poster, the one we all know and love, was printed in millions, but actually wasn't put up. The first two posters were put up all over England, but they reserved keep calm and carry on for the scenario that things would get really bad. I mean, how British is that, right? Like, if they get invaded, keep calm and carry on. Uh, it's like this kind of this sit down, have a tea, it'll all be fine. I mean, I, I, it is simultaneously kind of an inspiring kind of like encouragement to just keep going on. And it's also just so meh. Um, but nonetheless, we've turned it into memes all over the place because what happened is 50 years later, it turned up in a bookshop in the north of England. And the bookshop owners were so kind of like enamored by this poster that they stuck it up in their own bookshop and customers came in, loved the, loved the poster, want a copy. They wanted a copy, 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 turned to a million memes and now we know and love it. Uh, that's the story of that poster. But my question to you is what is your meme? What is your poster? What, what is your motivation kind of little mantra that you've been saying to yourself over the last year? It's all been rough for everyone in different ways. What's kept you going? I mean, I've only got so many more kind of like it is what it is within me, uh, but we've all been sort of saying something to ourselves, have we not? To make sense of the ups, the downs, our joys, our struggles. What is it? For as good as that meme is, I don't think it's gospel enough good news enough. What we have the privilege of unpacking tonight is the part of Paul's letter to the Philippians that, that kind of that teases out his motivation, his mantra to press on. And we're pressing on into something far greater than just our everyday kind of whatever. We are pressing on into Christ. And so keep your scriptures open if you've got a, a Bible app or kind of a Bible in front of you. Uh, if you've got an outline, uh, I'm going to camp out pretty much in kind of the first point for most of the sermon, so just, I don't know, deal with that. Uh, but I want us to wrestle with uh, what Paul is talking about here. And if the text's going to work for me, I'm going to draw on the screen and we're kind of going to have some fun with it. But the thing, as we start this passage from verse 12, that's where kind of Matt left off from last week, Paul starts by saying, not that I've obtained all this, well, or, or what? We'll, we'll come to that. 
But the thing that stands out most of all is this idea of pressing on, to take hold of that which Christ held for me, uh, brothers and sisters, blah, 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 press on toward the goal to win the prize. So there's this kind of, there is this emphasis of pressing on, to take hold of something, to, to win the prize. But what is Paul talking about? Uh, it's got something to do with something he's not already obtained. And Paul, like, I think the central part to help us unpack this is to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And you're like, Paul, 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 could you have written that simpler for us? What, what are we taking hold of? Something that Jesus is taking hold of us. This passage doesn't make sense when we start from here. We, we've got to back up to the passage that Matt preached on last week. Because Paul begins with, I want to know Christ. Well, Paul already knows Jesus. So, of course, he wants to know Him more. Yes, to know the power of the resurrection and participation in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. That's what he's saying he hasn't obtained fully yet. That's what he wants to take hold of, Jesus Christ, to know Him more. Because Jesus Christ has taken hold of us. Now, for everyone in the room who's kind of feeling exhausted and feels like the exhortation to press on is just another thing you've got to add to your to-do list, or for all of those who know that we've been saved by grace and are starting to go, well, what is this thing I've got to keep doing so as to achieve the prize? I kind of want to back up a little bit so that we might understand why this is good news. And because I'm a visual learner and I'm just dragging you along with me, we're going to do a little bit of a kind of drawing exercise um, but I want to pick up on some of the language that's in the passage because we're talking about this heavenward prize. We're talking about in sort of verse 20, the kind of that those that keep their mind on earthly things. And so I just want to flesh out this kind of heaven and earth idea, this idea of growth and, and where we have to press our effort and how that compares to every other worldview or religion in this world. Now, when I say heaven, I'm not talking about clouds, harps, angels, you know, there's some overlap, but mostly I'm talking about God's space. That space where God dwells in His glory. That's what I'm talking about in terms of the prize that we're headed towards. And every other religion or worldview or kind of even scrap all that and just think about trying to self-actualize has this idea of straining towards, you know, the goal of self-actualization or the goal that God might somehow be pleased with you and let you in. That's every other worldview, every other religion. But when you look at the God of the Bible, you just see how glorious this God is. When you consider just how much pressure there is to summon up the internal resources to perfectly self-actualize, you just realize you're never going to get there. The gospel is entirely different to all of that. And I want to make that abundantly clear. Because as we've looked at the centerpiece of Philippians, there is this story of Jesus who is the Son of God, just to kind of play with that theme, here's a son, because I'm sort of playing with the idea of uh, the Hebrews, that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. But Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made Himself nothing, to become a human like one of us, to live with us, for us, there's us and Him on earth. But the difference about the gospel is that God came down it didn't start with us trying to get up. We were never going to get there. It begins with God in, in Jesus coming down to us. And Jesus lived for us. 
He died for us where we ought to die under the judgment of God. But he didn't stay dead. He was raised to new life so that we might have new life. That is the good news of Jesus. And Paul wants to know this Jesus more and more. That's, he wants to know the power of the resurrection more and more. It's not about progressing up on your own kind of strength. It's about pressing into Jesus and knowing Him and the power of the resurrection. Because the whole Christian life is all about Jesus and knowing Him. And Paul says, I've not obtained that fully yet. He knows Jesus, but he wants to know Him more until that day when he is before his Lord and Saviour, having been perfectly resurrected into eternal new life, and he is embraced with his Saviour as he is embraced, as he embraces Jesus. I mean, that's a picture that we long for. So let's abandon ideas of kind of just free tickets to heaven and think about, you know, Jesus himself says, what is eternal life? It's knowing God. That's straight from John 17. Let us wonder, who is this God that would care for us? that would bandage up our wounds, that would fulfill our every desire, who would care so much for us as to die on a cross so that we might have life. And when we put knowing Jesus and the power of His resurrection as a supreme motivation in our life, it changes everything. I want to use Paul's own testimony to kind of show an example of this. Because don't forget, he's sitting in a prison. And, and there's so much that would have been going through his mind. I've sort of drawn on the pen this a few times. Because I know if I was sitting in prison, I'd be praying prayers like, get me the heck out of here. Or just take me home. And Paul does sort of say that that would be a good option. But he has so much more to say. I mean, these are kind of, in some levels, pagan prayers. Anyone can pray, oh God, get me out of here. But, but Paul is praying and living something entirely different. He is pressing into Jesus. And Paul is able to, to even press into his sufferings so that he might know the Jesus who suffered for him in profound new ways and kind of nurture and cultivate extraordinary dependence and joy. And out of the overflow of that, he sees an entirely new world. So as we know Jesus more, we see a whole new world more. We long for the power of the resurrection more. He's able to say at the beginning of Philippians, I want you to know that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. I'm in prison and it's good news because now the whole imperial guard has heard about Jesus. Do you see how that's different? If he was sitting in there wallowing, just praying, God, get me out of here. He might not have actually had his eyes open to the power of the resurrection. For this God makes sense is able to work through the worst of circumstances, even death on a cross. So what might He do in our life and in our circumstances and in our imprisonment or whatever's kind of weighing us down? We're not imprisoned. I think it's extraordinary. You might think of examples in your life where you've prayed any number of things, get me out of here, whatever, and God may or may not have answered those. But as I think about those scenarios in my life, particularly even the places where He hasn't answered them, what He has given me, is profoundly new understandings of the Scriptures that I would so easily read over. Like, for instance, your grace is sufficient. So easy to put that on your fridge or kind of on your phone or whatever as a little kind of cute Scripture. But when you really need to depend on that, that His grace really is sufficient above all things, your experiences in life fill that with meaning and power. 
But when God does answer our prayers, sometimes He answers it in ways that our puny little imaginations didn't even contemplate. Because this is a God that's able to raise the dead, which wasn't in our imaginations. Or maybe when you've had to lean in to forgive someone, and you've been wrestling with with mercy and justice, and as you kind of wrestle in the tension of that having been wronged, you're suddenly drawn to what God has done for you in Jesus Christ, that you would be forgiven. All of these experiences in life, as we long to know Jesus more and the power of His resurrection, radically change us, transform us, give us a new lens to see the world. J.I. Packer in his book, Knowing God, it's a great book, says this, once you become aware that the main business that you are here for is to know God, most of life's problems fall into place of their own accord. And when I read that, I was kind of like, wow, it's like, really? Do they all just fall into place? Well, they all take a place within this idea that we are knowing God and we are trusting ourselves to this God who raises Jesus from the dead. And what might He do in our life? It radically changes everything. I want us to yearn to know Jesus more, to press into the power and to long for this power of the resurrection, even via suffering, but always through faith, and to know Jesus more. What season are you in now? What hopes feel far off? What decisions are weighing upon you? What burdens are you carrying? Is God saying to you, be still and know me. Trust that I, just as I raised Jesus from the dead, I will be at work in you. Well, Paul says, I do not consider myself to have fully obtained the complete knowledge and experience of the resurrection yet, but by the grace of God, I know Jesus. And I want to know him more in every part of my life. And as I think about this, I want this for my life, I want this for yours, I want this for the whole world. There is much to long for, friends. So what does Paul ask us to do as we long for these things? Firstly, forget what is behind. Forget, forget your sins, forget your wins. We're told to forget our sins because we, Jesus Christ has forgiven us. He has wiped clean the slate of all the things that would hold us back from relationship with God. But I wonder if one of the things we need to wrestle with here as we want to know Jesus more, is actually forgiving ourselves. We, we sort of look so lowly upon ourselves because we know the things that we've done. Let us trust that if God knows us fully when Jesus died for us, and despite knowing all of those things, He forgave you, I wonder if we might be able to let those things go as well so that we wouldn't be held back into knowing Jesus more. But I also want to say, forget the wins, because so many of our wins are about leveling up and kind of achievement and kind of building this sense of self-confidence. That's the kind of hold us back from knowing Jesus more, because we just want to know ourselves more. I wonder if that's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. It's not about self-actualization, it's about entrusting yourself to Jesus and knowing Him more, and let Him determine the fullness and the glory of your life. And then Paul says, and to strain toward what is ahead. Strain. It's such a kind of, it's a powerful word, isn't it? 
I wonder if you thought of the Christian life like that, straining towards, pressing on. And maybe some of you are feeling exhausted, and that doesn't sound like a great encouragement. Or maybe you're worried about sort of works righteousness and kind of, well, if we're saved by grace, I shouldn't have to kind of press on like this. But we've got to think about this as, as a relational effort. When I'm doing marriage prep with people, in fact, I did a marriage prep this week with a couple, and it just dawned on me as we were kind of talking through, you know, the vows that people make, why you have to make vows? I mean, these two people, these, these people love each other, can't we just stand up on stage and say, we love each other, it's going to be beautiful, look at the dress, it's nice, and just move on. Instead, we make these promises. We make these promises that we're actually going to strain ourselves to keep loving one another through thick and thin. And when we make those promises, we recognize that, that, that we, are, we are broken, we are sinful, and life is hard sometimes. And even the ones we love the most, we still have to put extraordinary effort into. As we do marriage, but we cover all number of materials that require effort, vulnerability, work. But it's worth it. And I want to say that it's even more so with Jesus. To trust Him, your Lord and Savior. It is worth straining to know Him more. To take hold of Him because He has taken hold of you. And let me say that grace is not opposed to effort. Just earning. You cannot earn your status before God by your effort. But you can know Jesus more. So forgetting these things and with the yearning to know Jesus more, until we see Him face to face, let us press on to the prize and goal of our faith, Jesus Christ, who has taken hold of you personally, permanently, and purposefully. And now in the freedom of grace, we have the privilege of knowing Him more and more and experiencing the power of His resurrection. Now as a way of sort of finishing up the sermon, let me kind of just talk through the last three points of my outline, uh, but the last part of the passage. Because Paul sort of brings home very practically some of the things that kind of are kicking around as we, as we press into knowing God more and more. And what I've called as being a responsible disciple, uh, Paul wants us to, uh, to, to take a, a mature view of such things. Uh, now, if you're kind of new to Christian faith, it might not have, you might not have thought about what it means to kind of suffer and that to actually be a season where you might know Christ more and His sufferings. And so Paul's saying, uh, all of us then, who are mature, should take such a view of things and if on some point you think differently, that too, God will make clear to you. It's kind of a bit of a cheap shot at those that are growing, but God will kind of reveal to us that the depths and wonders of the Christian faith in due time. And then he says, only let us live up to what we have already attained. Now, I'm used to kind of reading things like, let us live lives worthy of the gospel, but this seems to be a far more moderated version of that. And given that he's talking about this subjective experience of pressing on uh, and longing for the power of the resurrection in our lives, I wonder if he's saying something really simple here. Something like, forget where you think you are in the Christian faith relative to other people, sort of like trying to chalk up, you know, I'm here, you're there. Let's just cherish what we have in Jesus now. Let us take responsibility in our relationship and love what we have and press into it more. He says, join together in following my examples, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. It's important that we keep our eyes focused on Jesus 
and good examples of the faith. Now, two weeks ago, I spoke on, on the privilege of mature Christians modeling for us and encouraging us what it looks like to suffer well, to rejoice well, uh, and, and that is a privilege in Christian community to be able to do this together. So, let us, let us do that. Let's make an effort to actually model that in our Christian community, that we might enjoy that and have the privilege of that as we get to experience Jesus more and more in our lives and in community. But then he goes on to talk about an alternate discipleship. For he says, for as often, for as I have often told you before and now to you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Now, that's quite a turn from the joys of the rest of the passage. Who are these people? Well, Paul is, is, is grieving over these people. Maybe they were uh, kind of people he associated with as sort of the Jew of Jews, a teacher of the law. Uh, but at very least, there is their emphasis. Instead of Jesus being their focus, it's all about them. It's all about their selfish desires, which are unquenchable and lead them to debasing themselves and takes them away from Jesus. This phrase here, uh, that uh, their glory is in their shame, is kind of a quote from Hosea, where God is railing against the priests of His own people, who were leading people astray out of their own selfishness and exchanging the glory of God for their own shame. But what is, whatever the case is, whatever is happening here, we have to be careful at what we look at, what we keep our eyes on, our mind on, because these people here, their mind is set on earthly things. They're not looking to Jesus. But as I think about these things, I wonder and, and ponder just how quickly my heart wanders from Jesus. As the great hymn uh, says, I know I'm prone to wander, prone to leave the God I love, so here's my heart, O oh, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. Let's come now, Font. Jesus has taken hold of me. Let us keep reminding ourselves that even in our brokenness, it is Jesus who has come down to take hold of us, having fully known us, so that we might know Him more and more. And that's how Paul finishes this passage, reminding us that our citizenship is in heaven. Because as we trust in Jesus, we are moved from the kingdom of darkness, from all that's being defined in this world that will pass away, into Christ's kingdom. And we eagerly await to see our Savior face to face. And who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control, is transforming us day by day, until we'll be completely perfected. Is that not something to long for with all of our heart? And we have the privilege of experiencing that transformation day by day until that final day. Stay calm and carry on just is not gospel enough. It's not good news enough. What we have in Jesus is extraordinary. And so as some of us tonight start thinking about what it means to follow Jesus, you might be starting off, I want to move from sort of knowing about God to knowing this Jesus. And that begins with simply acknowledging who Jesus is, saying sorry for your sins and receiving forgiveness. It's that simple. For some of us, we're in a season of life where we're struggling and straining with all kinds of burdens. Would you press into Jesus rather than keep exercising 
your own actualization and your own strength? Would you put first and foremost in your mind to know Him above all things? Whatever our story is, wherever we are at, this is a gospel for everyone. That we might press on to know Christ more and more, for He has taken hold of us. So I say to Him be the glory in every part of our life, now and forever. Amen. listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.